This is an ABC podcast. What women wear. It's so often commented on, judged, controlled in sport as in the rest of life. Hello, I'm Amanda Smith and this is Sporty. It's so obvious that it really goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you play sport, you wear a uniform. It's designed to allow you to play that sport freely and in a team game to identify which team you're on. Sports uniforms, though, for girls and women can be problematic in a way that they aren't so much for boys and men because of all the issues that spin off perceptions and expectations around the female body. Natalie Cook is an Olympic gold medalist and five-time Olympian in beach volleyball. Liz Ellis is a former captain of both the Australian netball team and the Sydney Swifts. And Rana Hussain is a broadcaster with the Outer Sanctum podcast. She's also a diversity and inclusion consultant at the moment with the Richmond Football Club in the AFL. Liz, you led a big review into netball last year. 10,000 people involved in the game were surveyed about all sorts of things to do with netball and uniforms came up as one area where there was some concern. What was the discomfort or the changes wanted? Well, one of the things that we asked in the survey was what are the reasons that you've either left or considered leaving netball as your sport of choice? And one of the things that came up pretty consistently was the strictness of the sport around uniforms. And I guess you have to look at netball from one point of view. It's an amazing logistical exercise, you know, largely led by women. Half a million people every Saturday morning turn up to their netball courts and the scoreboards are there and the umpires are there and everyone plays and it's a military operation. You know, I sat next to Angus Houston once at a lunch when he was running the Defence Forces and he said to me, any woman who runs a netball association could run the army. (laughs) because it's logistically so impressive. So I think the strictness around uniform probably grew out of that, you know, the fact that there's these people who are trying to get a whole lot of people through and back in the day it was easy to say, you have to wear this uniform and you have to wear that uniform, same dress, different colours. Whereas now I think when people consume their recreation, they want to be able to do it in clothes that are comfortable, uh, especially for teenagers uh, going through those awkward sort of stages and wanting to be able to choose what they wore and felt comfortable in. They didn't necessarily want to be wearing the same sort of lycra dresses that the professional athletes wear. So it certainly came up as an area of concern and we included it in the report as a really easy win for the sport to start to be more relaxed about what people can wear. And it means that the sport potentially stops bleeding people playing it, but it also can attract people who may not have wanted to consider it before because they didn't like being told what to wear. Rana, have you not played a sport or dropped out of a sport because of the uniform? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that plagued me my entire childhood really Um, and it was one of the biggest barriers for me in terms of engaging in physical activity. I was really self-conscious and you know, I really hated my school sports uniform and felt really uncomfortable playing netball and hockey, which were the two sports that I did play. And, you know, I was also up against some cultural differences as well, cultural and religious differences when it comes to sport and clothing. And, you know, I grew up with 
the concept of modest clothing being the norm. And so wearing a netball skirt without any tracksuit pants underneath was uncomfortable and difficult. And, you know, my parents did a little bit of advocating with our netball club, but it wasn't the norm and it wasn't accepted at the time. And so it was really difficult, you know, on a game day to then be bare-legged was confusing for me. It made me uncomfortable. And I actually found that I was more timid on the court played because of that. Mm. Natalie, there was an international beach volleyball championship held in Doha in Qatar last week. Now, ahead of it, two women, uh, German players, pulled out of the tournament because the female players were asked for this tournament to play in shirts and long pants in accordance with the cultural and religious expectations around dress for women in Qatar. In fact, uh, the women competing in that event ended up being allowed to play in the usual bikini uniform after all. Now, I'm not sure if that was because there were actually no spectators at the event because of COVID. But Nat, would, would you have competed if you'd had to cover up to wear long pants and a long-sleeved shirt because of the traditions of the country you're playing in? Well, Amanda, I I think I would have. I think I would have been respectful of the country. It it costs a lot of money to host events like this, and if that was a strong request, you know, if if they gave an option, I absolutely wouldn't have worn long pants to cover my skin because when you're playing in conditions that are 35, 40 degrees plus, and then the sand, the reflection of the sand and the way the sand stores the heat, it can get up to 55 degrees on centre court. So there'd be no way I would choose to wear that. Um, plus chafing, like when you dive, the sand gets up there and it chafes and it's uncomfortable. So at a high level, at high performance beach volleyball, the bikini is absolutely the best uniform to wear. Uh, for the tournament, I would have done what it would have required because absolutely wanted to play. It's also a way we make our living and you want to get points and qualify for the Olympics. However, I do understand uh, the other athletes standing down from that event because it could put you under extreme heat conditions and put you physically at risk. And as it turns out, after watching the Qatar event online, the girls were able to wear bikinis. So it's great that they came to that level of understanding so that people could choose what they want to wear. I understand the locals wore their long pants and long shirts, which is absolutely understandable. Now, if we go a little bit to back when I first started, I didn't want to wear a bikini when I was 17 years old, just learning how to play beach volleyball. I felt uncomfortable. I felt naked. uh, And I would train in shorts and a singlet. But as I got more confident, as I got more powerful, as I dove around the court more and understood what the uniform was all about, I felt way more comfortable in a bikini. In that case that I just talked about in Qatar, Rana, what do, what do you think? Do you privilege the requirements and traditions of the host country or of the sport in that case? You know, which side do you come down on? Look, I guess for me, I kind of agree with that. I, I don't love the blanket ban, to be honest, and I don't like that for anybody. Options are important in general. And so in this case, I don't know, I did. I feel a discomfort around, you know, a government asking people from another community and culture to 
think about what they wear. Just that doesn't sit right with me. I, I like the idea of providing athletes with the option to wear what they want to wear and what is going to create optimal results for them. And, you know, wearing what the community of the day or in charge of the tournament requires, you know, that's what we grew up with here wearing what was assigned to us and not really having an option. So that's why for me it is more about centering the athlete in this conversation. Liz, were you ever uh, uncomfortable in whatever you had to wear as a younger person with netball? No, as a little kid all I wanted to do was wear what the big girls were wearing. So, you know, when I first started playing we used to wear a tunic dress. This is how old I am, Amanda. I wore a tunic dress with a little belt around it. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And we used to get our black undies or scundies checked. So, you know, things have moved along then. Now I think back to it, I think, oh, my God, how awkward that there was someone policing our undies. But I fully agree with what Nat and Reiner are saying is that you need to centre the athlete. But there's also an issue around policing women's bodies, isn't there? And all these issues keep coming up because somewhere at some point someone wants to police women's bodies, whether it's saying you're not wearing enough or you're wearing too much. Exactly. You know, a few years ago we had Seth Bladder mm. uh, in football saying, oh, the girls should wear shorter shorts and, you know, be more feminine. And he was roundly and, and rightly criticised for that. But those attitudes still exist. And I think at the end of the day women need to wear what works for them. So for high-performance athletes, what works for them, you know, is often state-of-the-art, cutting edge. In terms of netball, it's all about what fabric you're wearing to take the sweat away from your body because you're playing indoors and you don't end up with sweat all over the ball. For Nat, it's a totally different thing. You know, she talked about it's, it's about not chafing. But for little kids, it's about what they're comfortable in. So, Liz, uh, what's the as a consequence of, of your uh, review into netball last year, what, what's the current official position on what girls and women can or should be wearing to play the game at the various levels? Mm, the official position, as far as I'm aware, and I don't have a formal position within Netball Australia, so this is just my understanding of what the official position is. It is associations can make their own call. It's the associations that deliver the netball product every Saturday morning. You know, my report was about encouraging associations to be a bit more flexible in that regard. I saw something during the week about an, a netball association in Victoria in the goldfields um, allowing their participants to wear shorts and shirts if they wanted to. So it's one of those things. It will take some time to filter through. But I also suspect that once associations realise that you know, they can increase revenue and participation by just this one change that doesn't cost anything. Once it starts, I think it'll steamroll pretty quickly, or I hope so. Rana, how generally acceptable is it becoming now for girls and women in a variety of sports to play wearing that sporty kind of hijab? Uh, you see it quite a lot in soccer, I think, now. Yeah, I think it's becoming more and more common. I think that it was the Nike hijab first that kind of broke it open for everybody. But also the swimming gear, the burkini, was probably a moment in time that showed us that we can participate in different ways in recreation and sport. And I certainly feel like there's so many more options for Muslim women now if they want to participate in sport. There are still pockets of communities who that wouldn't be enough for and and so for a lot of Muslim women women's only spaces is where they want to play sport you know at a local and recreational level that's possible and you know to my point earlier I think it's just providing 
at a grassroots level providing options. Hey, Rana, I was going to say, you know, you're talking about the burkinis. I was at Wet n Wild with my daughter and there was these um, Muslim women in front of me and it was a stinking hot day and the sun was beating down and we all had to line up and they were in their burkinis and I, I was chatting to them. I'm like, Where'd you get them from? I'm a little bit jealous because I was in my closet getting burnt to a crisp and they were quite happy you're not getting sunburnt. They were like, oh, wow, what do you want to know for? And I'm like, because I'm having a bit of a jealousy moment. And they were the funniest women. Yep, we are the ones here in our burkinis and we're the only ones not getting burnt to a crisp. It's funny you say that because Nigella Lawson wears burkinis for exactly that reason. She always gets papped at the beach wearing a burkini, but she says it's for skin cover and care and she doesn't get burnt. It's so smart. Right? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of the burkini, let's pause this discussion for a moment to meet Ahida Zanetti, the inventor of the burkini. Ahida, how did it come about? Uh, Funny you ask. I was watching a netball game. My niece was playing netball, which was a bit of a struggle because of clothing restrictions. And it took her over a year to get into netball. And they had to find a netball team that would allow her to have an extra top underneath her jersey and a pair of tights. Um, It just got me thinking that, you know, why it was always something that I've always wanted to do as a young girl. There was a lot of clothing restrictions in regards to sports. And the biggest thing I've always wanted to do was swim. So that was the initial thought. I just started to look around to see, is there anything out there worldwide, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere that was going to fulfill the needs of Muslim girls and women? for them to participate in any kind of sporting or swimming activities. And that's how it started, really. There, was, there wasn't anything? Absolutely nothing. But people like me was also asking for suitable sportswear clothing. Um, I had three babies under three at the time, and I've been sewing since the age of 10. It was a hobby of mine that I've always enjoyed. So I've always been a – I just got to find something that's going to be practical easy to wear, it's going to do the job in the way of comfort, you know, covering places where it needs to be covered and exposing that needs to be exposed, if you know what I mean. So uh, it was the perfect challenge for me. The first thing I asked myself when I was wanting to design something was what will I wear? You know, what do I want to wear? If I was wanting to play some sports, I'm wearing hijab. I live in Australia, like I'm, even though I was born in Lebanon, but I've been here for 52 years, so I've got the best of both worlds. Um, so it needed to be Western looking. It needed to be adaptable to the Australian lifestyle. And, and that's how it came about. Ahida, how did you test your design, the bikini? The first time I actually tested the swimsuit, first of all, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to soak so much water, it wasn't going to be heavy. So i got to admit, the first test was in my bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) That was my first test. But once the initial design came out and I was confident enough, I went to a local pool. So I walked in with the bikini on. And I felt really a bit conscious because the whole everyone was staring at me. Went all the way to, and I stood on the step where the diving board was, and I dived. I wanted to test to see if the headwear was going to fall off if I dived head first. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was perfect. <laughs> there was a couple of aspects of the design that needed to be twigged a little bit, but it did everything I wanted it to do. So I did the dive. I swam a lap, got out, towel-dried myself and drove home. <laughs> How far around the world now has your burkini spread? Oh, it's going everywhere. Who would have thought, you know, that we have a Muslim girl in the middle of Sweden or Poland or Denmark or Netherlands and Malaysia, of course. And people use this burkini for religious purposes, practicing their religion in regards to what their requirements are. They're using it for some purposes because they're protecting their skin from the UV. Um, they're body conscious. I mean, it's not that they're overweight or underweight. It's just that they're not comfortable in wearing a bikini or, or whatever. They have chosen to wear a burkini for whatever the reasons are. It's actually fulfilled the needs for millions of women. It hasn't all been plain sailing, has it? I mean, it has been controversial in parts of the world, in Europe, particularly in France, where it was banned as a public expression of religion. Is it still controversial in some parts of the world? It's like it's always been controversial. It's always been that way. You know, when we first started, the Muslim women themselves were a bit unsure about the acceptance or are we doing the right thing? We've never had a swimsuit. No one's had the guts to actually produce a swimsuit made for us. So it's always been a topic. Um, in regards to France, um, burkinis are not political, but they've made it into a political problem. Um, it's only a piece of clothing. It's supposed to be happiness. It's, it's supposed to be bringing you fitness and health. It's got nothing to do with any kind of political agenda and whoever brings that up i just think that they have issues but in saying that they did really really well for my brand because it's allowing more customers to view me so i mean in a way it's stupid but in another way on the business aspect of it beautiful (laughs) and for nearly 20 years now the ahida brand has been making modest swimwear for women designed by ahida zanetti Ahida, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you're listening to Sporty with Amanda Smith. Let's return now to the wider discussion about women's sportswear with Liz Ellis, who, as well as being a former captain of the Australian netball team, has conducted a big review into netball, including team uniforms. Rana Hussein, who's part of the Outer Sanctum AFL podcast and a sports diversity and inclusion consultant. And beach volleyball Olympic gold medalist Natalie Cook. Nat, are you happy with your sport being one that encourages the display of so much flesh, especially for the women? Well, when you take it isolated like that, no. You know, back in the day, and I feel very old now, but we used to have people with tape measures, like while we had our bikinis on, making sure the side of our bikini didn't extend past six centimetres. But when you look at the whole big picture of where I came from as an athlete, going from indoor volleyball, wanting to cover up, to beach volleyball and understanding that I was pretty good at it, and the only way, sadly at that time, to get attention was our bikini. We used to say that the bikini... And the sex appeal of our sport attracted people to the beach 
And they left having a much greater respect for the sport of beach volleyball, not the bikini of beach volleyball. So we were proud pioneers of changing that dimension a little bit. And and the last 10 years, to be honest, there hasn't been much talk of the bikini. It really had become norm. It had become accepted uh, at a high level for the sport. Um, so now it's back on the radar, clearly because it's the reverse. The girls from Germany were going to be forced to not be allowed to wear their bikini, right? So it's quite ironic. Mm. Liz, at the, at the various levels of netball, who actually decides on the uniform? Oh, in terms of um, local netball, it's the local associations and the local clubs who decide that. And it depends on what association you're at or where you're playing. So I can only speak from my experience. As the coach of two little Netset Go teams, I decided what they wore. So Netset Go is like the introductory sort of program and kids play it from five through to ten and it's pretty relaxed about what they wear. So I just told them just to wear their Netset Go shirts, which are sponsored, and just their school sports shorts or skorts that they've got. So that sort of works quite nicely. Next year we'll have to make a decision about what they wear and that will be up to the club that we're with and, you know, I'll have a chat to the club about whether they wear the dresses because they're expensive as well. That's the other thing. You know, if you're considering what sport to put your kid into, there's the expense and and these uniforms are expensive. Um, And then once you start sort of getting up the ladder, your association determines what you wear when you play representative netball And then as Nat said before, when you get to high performance, it is about what advantages your uniform can give you and um, you really are dictated to in that regard. But the players get a say in it because they want to look good as well as feel good and and have a a uniform that suits them and as well as supporting their efforts when they play. So, yeah, it's whatever level you're playing at, the governing body at that level makes that decision. We did a survey in beach volleyball and you asked the 15 to 20-year-old girls whether they liked wearing the bikini, I'm sure you'd have a mixed response actually because our sport is such a lifestyle sport, it's such a beachy sport that providing, and this is a big providing, that you find the girls that have good body image, then they would be really comfortable. You see it in surfing, you see it in nippers, surf lifesaving, where they're absolutely running around in togs or um, bikinis you know, all body shapes and sizes at nippers. And when when they come and stand, they came and stood by the side of the court watching the beach volleyballers in awe. And it's like Liz said, at some point they want to be like them. They want to be able to choose their own bikini bottoms because as an athlete playing at a high level, you only get to choose your bikini bottom. The tournament provides the top and that's full of the tournament sponsors. So there is that chain from when they start playing indoor volleyball at school where they actually wear shorts and knee pads and shoes and socks and when they take their shoes and socks off and come to the beach, it's a different culture, it's a different vibe. Um, But I agree with Rana, the ability to make a choice for yourself at some point is part of the power we need to empower our women to get to. Speaking of bottoms, uh, there's a women's sports club in Melbourne that I know of. They have both Aussie rules teams and soccer teams that compete in local leagues. And it's everything from, you know, little girls through to, to women. But they don't wear white shorts. 
they've made a decision that they don't want to wear white or light coloured bottoms. And, you know, and that's because of the fear that if you've got your period, you might bleed and it'll be really obvious and embarrassing. Rana, I know that in the AFLW, they do still wear white shorts for their playing away uniform, as is traditional in that game. Is that something you consider an issue? Definitely. And I've heard it from the mouths of players themselves. They're hoping that one day that will change. And I have to to think that that change is coming. We definitely need to consider it. I know Claire Hanlon um, at the Victorian University has just released a whole bunch of research around this. Um, yes, and that was one of the, the findings that came out there, sort of a w- women and girls generally wanting looser clothing, but also not white or light coloured shorts or pants. Exactly. And I think, you know, ultimately for me, you know, this whole conversation and yes, at the elite level, there is a different conversation to be had, but you can't be what you can't see. We say that all the time. And if women can only see one type of outfit or dress or body type in sport, the message they're getting is that sport potentially isn't for them and and sport funnels up, right? So, you know, our focus kind of has to be on the participation level and making sure that women feel comfortable playing sport and participating. And as they get higher up and better at the sport, they can address the issues and negotiate what needs to happen then. But we just want, you know, women being healthy and happy and engaging. So for me, it's sort of a no-brainer, you know, if white shorts are the issue, (laughs) get rid of them. Um, But interestingly as well, the other issue that I've been hearing is around skin-coloured shorts that are a requirement for sports like women's footy, but skin-coloured shorts only come in one particular tone. We need to also look at that. We need to consider that there are different types of women playing sport and and we need to start to address the needs of all women. Yes, and if we want women of colour playing sport, then the skin tone uh, business is very important. Exactly. And and again, you know, we talk about wanting to diversify sport, wanting it to be intersectional. These are the issues that it actually comes down to. These are the conversations that we have to have if we want to be more inclusive, it is around what are women wearing. The interesting thing for netball is that we actually are pretty poor in terms of our diversity. We don't have a high number of Indigenous women. We don't have a high number of women at the elite level who are from non-English speaking backgrounds. And I think that as that, one of the things that netball needs to ask itself very carefully and very honestly is uh, the rules around uniforms. I was fascinated listening to Rana talk earlier about her experiences playing netball as a little kid. Are we not accessible for a clear reason that we are so stringent about our uniforms? And I think that's a really important question for netball to ask itself and to probably answer in the affirmative. Yeah, we are turning participants away. One of the things that came out in the survey was that we are viewed as a very white sport. And I think that's a, a huge blemish on netball. And I think the uniform issue plays a huge part in that. You know, the Australian Sports Foundation is advertising a grant to help women's uniforms change so your clubs can apply to change your uniforms and customise your uniforms to empower the next generation of female athlete. So I think it's a case of more of that opportunity, not just being okay with what you're told to wear or what you're given to wear. And as we know, there'll be some outspoken women that'll go or girls that'll say, I'm not wearing that. And then 
they come up against the fight to continue to play in what they're comfortable with or they will go to another sport. Mm. And sadly, I think that's part of why beach volleyball doesn't have the mass participation we'd like to see. The last thing I want is a girl going, Mum, I don't want to go and play because I'm not comfortable in my uniform. And Natalie Cook is a five-time Olympian in beach volleyball, a gold medalist at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Liz Ellis is a former captain of the Australian netball team and of the Sydney Swifts in the National Netball League. And Rana Hussain is a writer and broadcaster with The Outer Sanctum, an all-female Aussie Rules football podcast. She's also a sports diversity and inclusion consultant. Many thanks to you all for joining me here on Sporty. Rana, thank you. Thanks for having me. Nat, thanks to you. Thanks. And go, girls. Play whatever, <laughs> claim whatever you're comfortable in. And Liz, thanks to you. Oh, thanks so much, Amanda. Great chat. And Sporty is produced by Damien Rabbit. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.